Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. And we are here, Jonathan, to close out our anniversary month for uh, Weekly Suit Gundam. We have done a lot of stuff. We've done Turn A Gundam. We have done a big wrap-up of all the shows that we've watched and ranked a bunch of stuff. After War Gundam was this month also. Yes. So we All June. Yeah, so we've just been going hard on June with Weekly Suit Gundam, which has been a lot of fun. Um, but today we are going to do something that I have wanted to do. Well, want is a strong word. I have been interested in doing for a long time uh, because there has uh, been now for five years since the original completion of my Gundam watch through where I watched effectively every single existent piece of Gundam media I could. Like I watched MS Igloo. I watched all the weird OVAs. I watched Gundam Evolve. Like watched lots of weird little things. Most of them aren't very good. There was one piece of Gundam that came out in the year 2000 that I had not watched. And today, Jonathan, we're going to fulfill this little uh, hole in my Gundam experience. And we're going to do it together. Yeah, so this is the first Weekly Suit Gundam where we are doing something that neither of us has seen. Yes, and, and as of the recording of this section we're doing right now, we still have not seen the movie G-Savior, a live-action uh, Gundam film produced in the wonderful uh, country of Canada for the Japanese uh, TV viewing audience. Yeah, this is the, the lone live-action Gundam movie, yep. the lone English-language Gundam thing. Mm-hmm. and uh, That was also uh, never aired on English TV. It was made with Canadian actors. The original language is English, but it only ever came out here as a like sole DVD release that is long since out of print. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, so we are going to... Uh, after we give this little intro, we're going to watch it and we're going to talk about it. And I think we'll want to, because I, unlike, you know, Turn A or Zeta or something, I don't really expect you will have watched this. Yeah. So we will give you a little summary of what happens in the movie as well. Yes. To the best of our ability. Um, but yeah, I am I am both excited and trepidatious. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a reason why uh, I hadn't watched it. Because the idea of a can- Canadian TV movie production of a live-action Gundam is about the worst sounding thing you could possibly make. Um, but before, Jonathan, we, we uh, go aside and watch this movie uh, and experience G-Savior for ourselves, I do want to go over some of the production history of it because it is kind of a fun, weird thing. So uh, this all comes out from what is called the Gundam uh, Big Bang Project, which was the 20th anniversary multimedia bonanza of Gundam. Which the most notable thing that came out of that was obviously Turn A Gundam, um, which is one of the best of the Gundams. But there was a lot of other stuff. And one of the things they wanted to make is they wanted to make a live-action Gundam project. I don't know why, but they wanted to. Uh, So in 1995 is when a lot of that stuff kind of started kicking off. In the 1997, they released a promotional trailer for the movie. And then production for the movie actually began in June of 1998. So they were, they, were, they were planning this thing for five years, basically, before it came out. Interesting. Yes, very interesting. You know, all anime, if they survive long enough, become a live-action movie. It's just yeah. the rule of things. Fucking One Piece is becoming a Netflix series. You know, Naruto has been bought by Lionsgate. It's, you know, all will become live-action. Dragon yeah. Ball had a live-action movie. We've all collectively put that in the memory hole, but it did happen. Yes, like, eventually, uh, all anime will get... All popular anime will get turned into a live-action movie and will be a bad idea every single time we do it. Pretty much, um, yeah. But this is, this is well before any of those. This is an early... 
Yeah, this adaptation. is before, and this is before Japan started doing it. So Japan has like the Rurouni Kenshin movie and the Full Metal Alchemist movie. Yes, and the they've Attack got on like Titan. Yeah, they've got like a Bleach movie. They've got a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure movie. Yeah, they've yeah. got like a Gintama movie. But this is before the, this was a big trend, and before I guess they decided to do it in Japan because yes. this is the, as you say, Canadian. Yeah, so um, the best I can tell of why it was made in Canada, because there's not really good documentation around this, uh, for obvious reasons, G-Savior is not a popular piece of Gundam in the West or in Japan. It seems to be mostly forgotten about, even though, Jonathan, it is technically speaking in the Universal Century timeline, and it is technically the furthest out piece of Universal Century fiction uh, in Gundam. And I think it is... Sort of still considered canon. Um, the best I can see is that like everyone that that they just never Sunrise has never talked about it basically since it's come out. Um, but so it is like broadly speaking, it is within the Gundam canon. It is its own story and all of that. Um, but the best I can see about why it was made in Canada is basically the same reasons of like a lot of American TV shows of that period, like the X Files. Um, were shot in places like Vancouver. That's still very common. All the yeah. CW superhero shows like Supergirl and The Flash are all Vancouver. Yeah, because it's just cheaper. Um, yeah. And there's lots of reasons why it's cheaper. But so they, you know, wanted to obviously make this movie for uh, as little money as possible because making a movie that does have, um, and I'm interested to actually watch it and see how much uh, CG effect there are in it because it does have CG shots. I like skimmed through the movie just to get a sense of it a while ago. And saw a little bit, a sample of their CG stuff. But it doesn't seem like there's a lot of it. Because it was kind of hard for me to find CG stuff in it without just watching long sections of the movie. Which I didn't want to do. But so it does have like full digital CG effects. Which was not common for a TV movie um, in the year 2000. But so, you know, they, they wanted to save some money on it. And so they used uh, the wonderful country of Canada to help them make the movie. So the movie was produced, or uh, really, I guess it was produced by uh, Sunrise. So Sunrise did have people involved around the, the production of the movie, but it was created by a company and filmed by a company called Polestar Entertainment that, as far as I can tell, that company does not exist anymore. There is a uh, film production company called Polestar Productions that also makes what looks like really bad movies, uh, but I don't think Polestar Entertainment is around they seem to have mostly made um, TV productions and other TV movies in Canada at the time. And it is made by a bunch of people um, that also just come out of the Canada television scene. So, like, it's directed by a man named Graham Campbell, who did a bunch of Canadian TV shows. Like, he directed a bunch of episodes of, like, Degrassi um, and stuff like that. It's uh, written by uh, a guy named Mark Amato, who his IMDb page has. He's written stuff like... Mutant X and Earth Final Conflict with Jonathan. You're looking at the box art for them. Oh, he wrote The IMDb. Night Before Christmas, which is the Vanessa Hudgens movie from Netflix last year. It's the Christmas yeah. movie where a knight gets transported into the future and Vanessa Hudgens helps him find his way home. I know because I watched about half of it on a bus ride from Iowa to Denver once because I was just that bored. Nice. And I couldn't sleep. He wrote one episode of Extreme Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters cartoon, which people really like that one. I don't know if it's, they like that episode. But yeah, it's like he's just got like a bunch of like weird, like eclectic uh, writing credits. Uh, one thing I really loved is I looked up the lead actor, Brennan Elliott. Um, and the thing I love that he was in, that I kind of really want to watch these now, is he is in um, a series of TV movies made, um, I think they're like Hallmark movies, uh, called Crossword Mysteries. The first one coming out in 2019 called Crossword Mysteries, A Puzzle to Die For. Um, and the 
plot of Crossword Mysteries, which they're now uh, producing the sixth Crossword Mysteries uh, thing. They're producing apparently four, five, and six at the same time. Uh, this is a what if you have a woman who edits crossword puzzles for a uh, newspaper and she helps a police detective solve crimes, which is the best plot for what sounds like a fake TV show that people at an actual TV show would be talking about ever. That's like what SNL would do to parody the show Castle yes. with Nathan Fillion. Yeah, it, it, it is like a weird, our, like their version of Castle, but they, the first one they made was in 2019. Um, which I, you know, I don't mean to make fun of these people because it's their, you know, all they're getting their work done. But it's just to say that this is like the the level of production we're talking about is this a is very basically TV movie. Everything you look at is is now all these people work on Hallmark movies, like literally, exactly. it's, yeah. it's or like Netflix Christmas movies that your mom watches. Exactly. So that is like kind of up and down uh, where this production comes from, and then it aired uh, December twenty ninth, two thousand. So it is. Uh, Mathematically speaking, the latest piece of uh, Gundam media in the 20th century, because it came out in the year 2000. That's how math works. Oh, shut up. But, but that's also how I partially justified. It feels like it's one of the reasons why I want to do this here in, for this first anniversary project is because it caps off in its own weird way this whole era of Gundam. Because I think proper 21st century Gundam that really starts with Seed yeah. uh, is very distinct. And I like this, like it comes in right in December 29th, 2000. It aired on the network TV Asahi, which had been a network that Gundam aired on for a long time. Uh, this was the last Gundam thing apparently to air on TV Asahi. I don't know if it had anything to do with the decision to move <laughs> to different networks. Uh, maybe, maybe not. So it aired that one time on Japanese television. Um, obviously all the actors are Canadian, but they dubbed them over with Japanese uh, actors. And then it got, again, one basically DVD release over here. Uh, that is long since out of print, but it never aired on uh, Western television. Along with G Savior, there is also a sort of multimedia push around it. So they made a radio drama uh, adaptation of it uh, that they did. So they had a radio drama version. They had a novelization split across to two novels. And then they also did make a PS2 game uh, that is a apparently a soft sequel, even though it came out September 14th, 2000. Um, and so it is a PS2 action game, as uh, Wikipedia labels it. I played about 10 minutes of this game, Jonathan, on an emulator, and it is uh, hot garbage. It is very bad. It also does not... It, it, it's not that it runs poorly on the emulator. It has some weird artifacting in the emulator that I think is mostly a, uh, a result of nobody in the emulation scene is doing any work to like make it so that this game runs uh, flawlessly. It's no one's life's work to make G-Savior run well on PS2 emulators? Apparently not. Um, yeah. So one weird thing about that game is that all the voice acting is in English, um, but that game certainly never came out over here. So it is all yeah. English voice acting that is shockingly good. Like it's not even, it's not like Metal Wolf Chaos where the voice acting is hilariously bad. It is... This is, would be acceptable voice acting for a PS2 game if it came out in the West. They wouldn't have had to do anything to it. Um, but it's just like a bad old third-person shooter game that's really, really clunky. And then they also made a three-part uh, manga adaptation as well. Uh, and this manga has not subsequently been collected in any compilation volume. So there's no Tonkobun releases. It is just they fucking put that out on whatever magazine it was on. And that was that. And, and that was the end of the G-Savior project. So it was a movie... A radio drama, a novelization, a video game, and a manga adaptation. And basically all of them have been lost to time. And no over the next five episodes of Weekly Suit Gundam, we are doing every single one of them, right? You could not pay me enough money. <laughs> 
Jonathan. You do not have enough money as a person to pay me to finish we, that fucking video game. I will watch this movie because this movie is uh, exactly 93 minutes long. So I will watch a 93 minute because that's got to actually be like 85 minutes or something if you like throw out credits and all that other shit. So it's like get rid of all that other crap, get through that movie, that game, nuh uh, no way. So you're saying we're not flying to Japan to try to seek out the magazines in which the three-part manga was collected. Yes, and we, we are like the old, like one of the small groups of people on the planet that own all of the G-Savior manga, yeah, in the individual releases that it got. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, the setup for how this thing was made. Uh, it is, I am, have always been fascinated by this. Uh, it has been a thing that when I was watching Gundam and I had like the Wikipedia timeline of the production order of when Gundam stuff came out, it was always this thing I fucking stared at that I knew I had not seen. Uh, and without this podcast, Jonathan, I would never watch it. But now I get to do it. And I, I have to thank you for being here with me on this journey. Yeah, I don't think either of us would have the courage to watch this without someone to make fun of it with. Yeah. So, and, and a platform to uh, you know express our feelings about it to the internet at large. All right. Well, this is G-Savior. It happens, I looked up, in the year Universal Century 0223. So this is like 80 years past Victory Gundam. Yeah, it, yeah it's like almost 100 years after Victory. By far the furthest in the official fiction we've gone. So mm-hmm. are you ready to enter the, the final frontier of Gundam? <sighs> Let's do it, Jonathan. the movie yeah for you guys it has just been a small transition for us it's been uh 90 minutes since the the beginning of the podcast that we recorded and we've watched that movie sean i don't know what i was expecting uh-huh but it was even worse it's pretty bad it's it's pretty bad yeah, it's definitely not a good one they didn't make a good gundam no it it i mean it didn't have anything to do with gundam <laughs> no it didn't to I start mean, it, they don't ever say the word gundam it's not called the gundam savior it's the g savior there so. are brief effect shots with mobile suits that vaguely look like they could fit in the gundam universe kind of yeah and they they use the word side for colonies some, I think they used to say the words mobile suit a couple of times. They also sometimes say robot suit, uh-huh. just for fun. Um, they, 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 they show the colonies, and they, kind, they, they mostly look like the cylindrical colonies in Gundam. Other than that, it has absolutely nothing that would even vaguely distinguish it as a piece of mobile suit Gundam. Any Gundam. G Gundam, original Gundam... Alternate Universe Gundam, doesn't matter. It has, it's like the most generic sci-fi. It looks like it's set... In like a just slightly distant future, like like kind of like a James Cameron alien sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Not, it's like this is supposed to be like three hundred years in the future. No, it doesn't look like that. Um, it's one of the worst things I've ever sat through in my life, Sean. It is. It is very much of that um, like late mid to late nineties Star Trek, like Star Trek Voyager. Um, it's a lot like. Hercules' legendary journey is like that kind of '90s TV, um, but, but worse. Yeah, I mean, but we're, but it's like a bad one of those. So it yeah. has all the bad things that all those things have, um, but then it is also it is it is like a hallmark Gundam movie in a lot of ways. Uh, it is, yeah, including a, a surprisingly long and in-depth subplot about infidelity. Yeah, that um, is never really addressed in any meaningful way. I mean, it's the driving motivator of the third act. Yeah. 
in so, a weird way. So, do you want to try to describe the the quote unquote story of whatever yeah, the fuck we as just best watched? we can? Yeah. So again, I I, I don't want people to have to watch this movie to understand this podcast. Um, it's very bad. I I also before we describe anything, I have to tell everyone I caught. About maybe half the dialogue in this movie. Yeah. Because it is the most poorly mixed sound mix I think I've ever heard. The sound effects, and like it's all clearly shot on sound stages, so the dialogue yeah. was just captured on set. And then the music and sound effects are like four to five times louder than the dialogue. So you can, if there's any of that, you just can't hear it. And all the actors just mumble through pretty much everything they say. Yeah. There's a couple... Of, like The only like actor you'll recognize in this is Kenneth Welsh. He's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, he was in uh, Twin Peaks. Yes, but, like, he's the villain in the last part of the second season of Twin Peaks. Yeah, he's yeah. Wyndham Earl, and, and he's in lots of other, like, this kind of stuff. But um, other than that, like, the actors clearly know they're going to be dubbed over into Japanese. So it's just... Mm-hmm. They just mumble. There, there's no effort given. Like, it, it's so clearly just... Who gives a fuck? No one's ever going to see this. Let's just vaguely say the line. So, I did not catch a lot of the quote-unquote plot of this movie. I mean, there wasn't much. Um, yeah. Because I was doing my best to try to keep up with it. So, yeah. So, let's 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 start at the beginning. So, we have um, our, you know, Uchu Seiki, 0079. You have your whole opening thing, and it's sort of... Broadly repli- replicating the kind of opening you would get in a Gundam, where it tells you it's the Universal Century 0223. Um, I'm just going to read here for the top of the Wikipedia plot summary. The former Earth Federation has collapsed, and the space colonies have shaken off their colonial past and now refer to themselves as independent space, quote, settlements. In this new power scheme, two factions have emerged. The Congress of Settlement Nations, also known as Consent, um, which is largely made up of the former Earth Federation government, and sides 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, and the Settlement Freedom League, composed of sides 1, 4, and the Lunar City. None of that's in the movie. I need to be very clear. None no. of that exposition is in the movie. Yeah, there's like a, a vague amounts of that, and you can kind of catch a little bit of it, but that is way clearer <laughs> off of Wikipedia than, so, than that. So it is technically in the Universal Century timeline, um, and it does boil down to evil Earth government and, like, space people who seem to be good. Um, and then you get our main character, Mark Curran, uh, which I do love. Every, the, you know, we are in a universe where we used to have people named, like, Ramba Rao and Amar Ray and Shara's Novel and Uso Eben and fucking Chronicle Asher, you know. And then here's Mark Mark Curran, yep. which sounds like he's a CEO of a, of a corporation or something. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like he should be in jail for, like, corporate yeah. embezzlement or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Mark, who is formerly an Earth Federation pilot or a consent pilot. I'm not going to call it consent because that is... So weird. Weird and bad. So, yeah, he used to be an Earth Federation pilot. Now he works for a company called Hydrogen, um, like, like the element hydrogen... Or, like, hydro and water in gin, like, generation. And they um, are in a deep water undersea uh, trench. And I also, just to give everyone, like, the visual here, yeah. Mark, he, who's played by our, our crossword genius, Brennan yes. Elliott. He, no, he's the detective. He's not the crossword oh, genius. Okay. It's his partner who's the lady. Okay. Brennan Elliott looks like Dominic West from The Wire. He looks like he could be Dominic West's, like, stunt double. Uh-huh. Except he doesn't look like he could do stunts. And the whole time I was just like... Yeah, this this looks like a, a very poor man's Dominic West. Just imagine that. Also, like, can't act and is a terrible character. So yeah, I mean, it's just very like TV movie. Yeah, leading man because he's like vaguely handsome. Kind Couldn't of. get onto a soap opera, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so he is uh, working for Hydrogen, and he's in like a thing that that is looks like a ball in Universal Century. And I guess here's where we have to talk about the effects, Jonathan, because. Yeah. Um, you know, to be fair, it doesn't have a huge budget. It's a TV movie from the year 2000. Uh, but boy, the CG effects, uh, they are, like, thin. I think most effect shots in this movie, other than some of the stuff in the final action scene, are, like, a second or fractions of a second long. Yeah. Um, and so they, they look incredibly flat. It's, there's nothing about, like, lighting or anything that blends them into scenes at all. Um, and I think maybe the the most uh, damning thing about this movie is how impossible it is for them to try to convince the viewer that the actors are inside of those suits yep. because it's just it never it never works um, it's the kind of thing where the direction the editing all of that it always feels like it is an actor like standing in a fucking uh, soundstage or someone sitting in like a little like cockpit thing and then over here in another building probably in Japan uh, they are doing the CG effects and doing that shit. Like, they just don't blend together at all. There's not just they blend together. There's no uh, attempt for that. Like yeah. so, so none of the effect shots meld with any of the live action shots. There's no like shot where someone like I guess there's a shot where there's a Gundam in the background and they're walking. Yes, they through, will do. But... They will composite live action over ba- still background shots that will yes. have the designs on them. But, yeah, but yeah. there's nothing where like the two are meeting really. You know. Yeah. Um, and yes, because the cockpits, which look nothing like Gundam cockpits whatsoever, yeah. are just you can just see the cardboard like it's so fucking cheap. Um, and yeah, it's the as you say, there's just no sense whatsoever that they're actually in those things. And it's hilarious. Yeah, so like the the core illusion of a mecha thing that these human beings are piloting the mecha just never, yeah, it never works. And as you say, like the direction doesn't even really attempt that because like it's not like you'll have the mobile suit do something cool and you'll cut inside and the person will be doing a motion kind of similar to what was going on outside. Yeah, they don't even attempt to do that. Yeah, you don't do like the classic Gundam thing of like the the mobile suit's about to punch and then cut into the cockpit of the pilot and then Amuro or whoever's like shoving a lever forward going ah and screaming you know some of those basic things um it's you know I don't even think they get are able to accomplish some like basic Star Trek style um the ship gets hit by a photon torpedo and then like everybody on the the stage like has to throw themselves around while the camera shakes because Star Trek got pretty good at being able to sell that effect very simply and I don't feel like they ever you say it doesn't feel like there was like communication between the team making the live action stuff and the teams making the effect shots. It just feels like they were made almost independent of one another based on the same script, yeah. Um, and then just st- stitched together in the edit. Um, so that's where you get basically the two most significant sequences of effect shots is this one at the beginning, and then you have the fight at the end where Mark is in this ball thing uh, underwater and he rescues a pilot that is caught up in a bunch of debris. Um, and by rescues, I mean, he, he goes and he floats over and is like, hey, Ben, you gotta hit your eject button. The guy's like, I don't know if I should. You should hit your eject button. I'll catch you. He's like, okay. And he hits the eject also, button and he catches him. we have to establish that Mark is like the ultimate parody of like the reluctant person in the mobile yes. suit. Because there's nothing he does, not a single thing he does in this movie that he does not bitch about first. Uh-huh. Including like this guy. Because first when someone suggests like, hey, maybe we should save this guy. He's like, no, I'm not in a, in a mobile suit that can save people. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. And, and finally they can just like, okay. And he just basically talks the guy through hitting the eject button and then grabs him with yeah. his mobile suit and that's that's the scene. And that guy is not relevant. I don't know why he was there. Um, that part 
part never made sense really because I guess there was some sort of explosion that these other people infiltrated the underwater facility with I don't know um, but then this is where you get a little bit of a, a sense of one of the core plot details of this movie is that it is concerned with food shortages and food production and that in this future we can't produce enough food and so we're trying to find alternate forms of agriculture as uh, several really clunky pieces of dialogue tell you uh, and that that is what hydrogen is trying to do is figure out how to do some sort of underwater something or other to generate food and alternate forms of agriculture uh, and so he rescues that person he gets back to the the facility and then they find out that oh no there are other people have infiltrated this facility in this same pile of debris that this pilot got caught up in that pilot that just came out of nowhere um, and then also the Earth Federation military have come down and they are in on this private independent science station and are taking things over oh god no and then Mark it's like meets uh, what's his name Frank Frank Jack somebody Jack he meets Jack yes Jack and Jack is the uh, if if you have to assign a Char role to every Gundam thing, he is the Char. He is the rival ace pilot. But you're you're giving it to like making <laughs> I mean, Gundam no, appearances not, is yeah. that's that's implying to our listener Sean that this has anything to do with Gundam. It, and doesn't. it doesn't. He because he is not. When you think of Char, like oh, does he have a face covering? Does he have an interesting personality? Does he have a secret? No, he's just a dick. In a, he's more just like the dick in the military movie who like looks down on everyone. Yes. And, yeah. yeah, he's he's like this is rich. Just, Rich, blonde, um, privileged military officer that feels like he, you know, he he didn't have to work to get to his position, and he's just an asshole. Yeah, um, this is very generic military fiction. I mean, yeah, every single character, and every, every single character, every single plot point, every single scene, every single line of dialogue, the every single like camera shot they do, everything that this movie is is just built out of cliches. Yeah. So there is nothing in the movie that feels like it is original. It is the kind of thing where you just have seen. Or heard everything from this movie and a million different other things. Um, and has done better in almost anything else that these kinds of cliches are featured in. Yes. So Frank, not Frank, Jack is there. I don't know why people are saying Frank. Jack is there. He's an asshole. Uh, Mark decides, hey, I'll go figure out what's going on with these like people who have infiltrated. Turns out the people who have infiltrated are stealing some mysterious vials that are on the hydrogen platform. And they are unarmed. Uh, but Jack and the rest of the Federation guys are like, we'll shoot them. And they're like, we're unarmed. Like, we'll shoot them anyways. And Mark's like, that's fucked up. And they do shoot some of them, but then leave the other ones alive. This is where we're introduced to our other lead, Cynthia Graves, played by Inika Okuma. And I, I point that out because she is also apparently the voice actress for Lady On in the English dub of Gundam Wing. Um, and she is the, the love interest for Mark, which you kind of figure immediately just based on the way that the sequence is shot. Uh, which makes a later scene we discover that Mark is married uh, very confusing, and it continues to be confusing throughout the movie. Um, and I guess actually that's that's where it goes after this, right? Because the, she's captured, uh, and then Mark's like, "I don't know what's going on." And then it just you get a weird flashback of Mark in a cockpit, and it's just on fire, and he's like, "Ah, trauma, traumatic military background." Because I'm reluctant military hero man, so I have some sort of traumatic background related to my military service that caused me to leave. So you get that set up, and there you meet uh, the best worst character in this movie, Mimi DeVere, uh, is Mark's wife, but she doesn't have Mark's last name, so I don't know why, I don't know what's going on with that. It's uh, the future, Sean. It's the, yeah, I mean, it, you know, fair enough. 
it just doesn't feel like that's something that feels like a mistake on the part of the movie or the cast listing or something. Um, but you meet Mimi, his wife, um, and they are in this apartment, and it is the most cliche Hallmark like they're both getting dressed to go to a party, and it's they're you know she's like in the mirror putting on lipstick, and he comes up behind her and grabs her around the waist. And they'd like do awkward cliche flirting that feels like literally it's just he, they took lines from a different script and then put them in this movie. Because he doesn't really want to go to the party. Yes. She wants to advance her career. This is important. Uh, also, the line is that she's putting on lipstick. She is putting on eyeliner. She yes, has an eyeliner true. pencil and is doing eyeliner, but she's saying she's doing lipstick. It's and true. apparently, no one caught that on the day of production. Yeah. And it is, it is. Of all the cliche scenes of the movie, that one is the one that is most like beat for beat, shot for shot. Um, this is where you get the first of a shot that they love to do, which you get these in these cliche scenes all the time, which is it's shot behind their back in the, you see the actors' faces in the mirror, and then they pull away from the mirror and the camera swivels to the right and follows them, and it's like the baby's first cool mirror shot, basically, yes. um, and it is, they really like doing it. This movie is abysmally directed. I just oh, yeah. have to... It's just abysmally. Above and beyond, like, it's a low-budget thing, it's abysmally directed. Yes, it's bad. Uh, so you get this just... I cannot stress enough how much that scene just fucking killed me. Um, every every single... Like, it makes the scenes between Anakin and Padme in episode two feel like uh, like high-class romantic drama, yes. basically. Uh, is how, how bad it is here. Then you get uh, the party scene, which is also a scene you've seen in a million other movies. Uh, but it, it does feature my favorite shot, which is uh, Mark and Jack who carry each other at the party and are like sniping at each other with bad little quips. And the camera rotates around them, I swear, like six full times. It's, it's so funny. The entire scene, there's no like <laughs> shot reverse shot. It's all the camera's on a track going around them in a circle and it just keeps going around in a circle and it does feel like a like like the, they, they they went up to the director in his trailer and they're like, what do you want us to do with the camera? Uh, circles? Anything else? No, no, just circles. Just, it, no one's going to see this. Just circles. Yeah, it, it reminded me of that uh, sort of memed uh, Metal Gear Solid Five clip. Uh, that is the, like, it is just a shot-reverse shot sequence that takes a minute long in MGS5 because Kojima wanted the one-shot thing. So it's just a cameraman just, like, running to another side and spinning around and zooming in. And then running back to the other <laughs> side and spinning around and zooming in is the most awkward shot-reverse shot yeah. style thing. Uh, and it's just that. And then it's a bunch of people at this party, and they're schmoozing, and Mark doesn't want to be there. Um, and again, there's just a bunch of very bad, cliche, kind of snidey one-liners that people snipe at each other. And then you get um, an example of one of the very weird pieces of plotting in this movie, where Mark meets uh, the general played by Kenneth Walsh, um, or Kenneth Welch, which is the only, like... That's an actor that's like acting. Like it's not a great performance, but it is a good B movie performance. It's enjoyable. You've definitely seen him in stuff. He's in like a lot of pretty much any show that shot in Canada. Like he's on the X Files in yes. for one episode. Mm -hmm. He's in a lot of movies as like just a random background villain. Like you know, he's one of those like character actors who's like not great or anything, but you've seen him in stuff. Yeah, but he plays a good. TV movie villain like sure. it's a fun I th like when he was on screen I'm like I'm enjoying what he's doing with his performance because it's, it's just kind of fun um, but he tells Mark that they have the um, Dr. Graves they have her in like below this facility where they have her, all the uh, prisoners locked up 
He's like, but she's just not saying anything. So can you go down there and convince her because you're not a soldier anymore? Maybe she'll trust you. It's like, okay, I'll go do that. And then Mark goes to the military facility and then he talks to this guard. And it is the most just utterly peculiar thing where they use a cliche that doesn't apply, which is that Mark goes up to the security (laughs) guard and is like, I need to go see the prisoner. Uh, And the security guard's like, well, you need to have levels seven clear, whatever it is, for it to be able to get there. And then Mark does this whole thing. It's like, oh, you know, do you know who I am? And I'm the war hero and all this stuff. You don't have to call me sir. You can just call me Mark because I'm not in the military anymore. And he schmoozes his way into getting security access when we had just seen a scene where the general told him you should go do this. So it's the cliche of how does our like charming hero get into this facility when he isn't supposed to be there, but he is literally supposed to be there. So when Mark does the thing here, that is a line that normally in this scene is a bluff of, oh, well, you know, I, I could just go back up to the party and ask the general, but we'd just be wasting our time. Yes. That's a bluff line. That is not a legitimate thing that here, the scene... That's actually what Mark would have to do. Like, yes. it would have been great if he's like, I would have to, the security guard's like, yeah, you gotta go do that. And then you, you get a shot back at the party. And Mark's like, hey, man, can you call the security guard downstairs? He's just not letting me in. It's like, yeah, sure thing, Mark. I'll let then you just go back in. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea why they had this whole scene. It is just, again, it feels like it is just this cliche scene that existed in a different script that they just ripped out of that script and put it in here, not thinking about how it connected to the scene that preceded it. I would fully believe that this is like a a rejected Hallmark script for like a <laughs> sci-fi love story Yeah, that they just took and put just minor changes on to, to retrofit it. To not be Gundam because it has nothing to do with Gundam, but be sci-fi-ish. Yeah, but to be G. It's yeah. not Gundam, but it is G. It's yeah. G Savior. Um, yeah, so you get that scene, which is just one of the best, I don't know why this scene exists, scenes uh, in this movie. And then you get uh, the the rich sexual tension between uh, Mark and Dr. Graves uh, yes. as, <laughs> as he interrogates her. And this is where you get a little bit more of the kind of world building of that you have <laughs> this organization called Gaia. That I guess is just one of the sides. It's just it's side, side eight. eight. Yeah. Um, so they're just that's what Gaia is, I guess. Um, but I thought they were like a terrorist organization or something. I don't know. I re- don't know really what it is because uh, that way they talk about it here just feels different to how it's revealed later in the movie. Um, but because yeah. Anyways, so she's a scientist working for Gaia, and Mark's very surprised that she's a scientist because she's a woman. I don't know. Maybe because she's black and he's racist. I don't know. Um, it does I, not. It plays very uncomfortably. Yeah, it, it plays like, in a way that feels like it would be uh, like it would be bad, but understandable if the movie was set in the year two thousand. And it's like even then, that's if it was set in like the seventies or something. It's like, oh, women can't be doctors. I can kind of understand why that like looking is exists. It's set in the Universal Century zero two two three. Like, you know, how many female pilots have we had that just, like, fucking kick... We, this is a world that has Haman Karn uh, exists in the history, presumably, of G-Savior. Um, Sean... Why are you giving this lady side-eye for being a doctor? I need to remind you of something. Not a single person, not one, involved in the production of this movie knew who Haman Karn was, so maybe... I get that, but we know who Kamon Karn is, and they have the fucking gall to, at the beginning of this movie, say the words Universal Century. They so do. They, I know. They're asking for it, because uh, it is a consistent thing throughout this movie that reminds you of, like, Gundam is not perfect about gender stuff, but oh boy, is it way better than bad year 2000 Canadian TV movies. Yes. Um, and the way that women, uh, like, 
that it has to be this like oh you're a female doctor like like you know girl power kind of vibe um it's really bad it's really fucking bad uh it makes you appreciate how far we have come with some of this shit uh to see it in this movie um and then so then uh mark takes her to the lab because she's like oh i was working with a doctor that was on your side and we each created independently one half of uh, this like formula and so I have my half of the formula and I came to the station to steal the other half of the formula that the earth doctor person made which is just a very complicated setup um, for something that I have fucking no clue what this thing is supposed to be so they go to the lab they get the formulas and they mix it together and then it creates a like fluid that glows really brightly and she says we have discovered a new form of bioluminescence that doesn't just produce light, it also produces heat. I'm like, one, light is heat. Have you ever left something out in the fucking sun? It gets pretty fucking hot. You know what infrared is? It's fucking heat that you admit. It's, it's light is heat. They're the same thing. Um, and two, what is that supposed to accomplish? What is, what is this formula that is a quote-unquote new form of bioluminescence? Which bioluminescence is light given off by living things, you know? So lots of, like, deep-sea fish and stuff, like anglerfish that have the little, like, lure thingy that glows. That's an example of bioluminescence. Uh, what the fuck does that have to do with this thing? One, that's just liquid. It's not alive. Like, is, are, is there plankton in there or something? Like, what is glowing in this fluid? It's not... <laughs> doesn't seem to be bio. It just seems to be fucking luminescent. You just made glow-in-the-dark liquid. Because I want to I illustrate this for our listeners again. What this, because Sean says, oh, it's this glowing liquid. What it is, is they have, <laughs> they have, glowing, they yeah. have several, like, vials that basically look like cheap jello shots, because uh -huh. it's basically just water with food coloring in it, very obviously. Um, on the table behind them, in the, to illustrate that it is a science lab, somebody went to PetSmart and <laughs> bought a bunch of hamster roll things, like yeah. the hamster tubes, and put the hamster tubes together and it, so it kind of looks like a chemistry set or something. And they so, keep it mostly out of frame because I yes. think they knew how bad it looked. Yeah, like literally, I'm not kidding about the hamster tube yeah. stuff. That's clearly what it is. And so she pours the two things together and then it is a like Photoshop, you know, year 2000, like some kind of, you know, home computer program applied a glow effect around the water. So it's clearly not coming from the water. It's a layer put on top of the image yeah. that is glowing and the actors are pretending to kind of look at it. It is the cheesiest, shittiest thing you've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. That it is not even... They didn't even try to do a practical effect to make it look like it was glowing really bright. They, they just yeah. did a digital effect uh, and it looks awful. And then they just keep on talking about it. And it's throughout the whole movie. They keep on talking about, do you have any idea how important it is, this, this bioluminescence? Did you, like, the world is two-thirds covered in water. Like, we, the, we have discovered a new form of bioluminescence. And obviously, the implication by the fact that the thing that people keep on saying is a problem is global food shortages, which we need to talk about that because that's also bullshit. Um, but, and so the implication is that that's the problem, then the bioluminescence has to fix that. But how? Like... Are you just going to make the oceans really glowy and hot? Like, what is the <laughs> what is the objective here? Like, we're going to warm the oceans, kill all the fish. The fish will rise belly up to the surface, and we have lots of food. That's the answer, Sean. Yeah, and like the <laughs> best thing I can think of is that what they're trying to do is like deep sea underwater farming and trying to create a like natural power source to to like give effectively sunlight in the deep 
see? It's the it's the literally the only thing I can come up with that this would vaguely explain what it is. That's basically what the Wikipedia summary says, but I don't believe it. I don't think they ever say that in the movie. No, that also doesn't don't. work, right? That like that doesn't make sense. Um, and this is where I, let's just talk about this food shortage thing because it is just a problem. That's like that's not a that's not actually a thing. Like that is just a. That is a fake product of capitalism, right? Like, we can produce food that can feed people. Uh, we just throw it away because it does not give you a profit, right? So this, we need to do... The earth is plentiful. Yeah. This is not a problem. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a problem. And this is extra not a problem when you already have fucking space colonies that are presumably, that seem to be self-sufficient, right? Like, no, there's nothing in this movie is about how people on Site 8 are starving. It's only the people on Earth. And so I don't... Like, this whole plot about the global food shortage, you never actually see it outside of, like, out of focus, uh, in, like, like cra crackly audio, uh, like, news things that play in the background of shots is the only time it really ever comes up. You don't see people starving. You don't get a sense of why there's a food shortage. It feels like, presumably, the food shortage thing is caused by the Earth Federation because they are the bad guys, but there's nothing directly dealing with it. Uh, and so it is a really frustrating, again, as if you are, if you are taking this as a thing that is supposed to somehow be a Gundam thing, the lack of any sort of concern or detail with like the actual politics and like issues involved <laughs> with the subject matter of the film is just utterly fucking galling. There's no concern taken to what this food shortage is, how it's caused or how this bioluminescence is going to fix it. It, it is just this, like, it is just a magic juice that people are carrying around and saying this will solve the world's problems, uh, and that's it. And again, not Sean, even that's, in a way that's, that's what, relevant to the fact that, like, most of humanity is living in space. That's what Gundam is about, Sean. A random MacGuffin that will solve all the world's problems if only it gets into the right hands. Yeah. That is the kind of black and white thinking Gundam is known for, Sean. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we've been, every episode, you know, Char's, Char's got the MacGuffin that's going to save the world, but he won't give it up, so Amaro's got to kill him. That's that's what Char's counterattack is about, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's that Char uh, has found is, the magic juice. Yes, he found his magic juice, and he's just keeping it from Amuro. I mean, it's yeah, like, I, you gotta gotta share the magic juice, Char. Come on, that's, yeah. this is what we're all about. So yeah, so that uh, so I guess that just dismantles everything about the fundamental like core plot mechanics of the movie to have already have fallen apart in this bioluminescent whatever the fuck is going on with that. Uh, it really pisses me off. Uh, that's when then, uh, the asshole Jack shows up and he's like, Mark, you can't, you're bad, Mark, so we'll try to shoot you. And he, there's like a whole thing where he like frames Mark and the implication is that Jack murdered one of his own people and pinned it on Mark as Mark escapes with Dr. Graves. And it's like, okay, I, sure, I guess that's who Jack is. Uh, and then Mark escapes with Dr. Graves and then he calls his wife, Mimi, at their home and she, he's like, hey, we need your help. Will you come over here? Why did they need her help? I never figured that. Did they need her key card? Yeah, she has some sort of government access. I never got a good sense of what her job actually was. Like how it, it seemed. It was, it was implied, important to her. Yeah, it was implied that it was important to her and it's an important position. But what it, did she work for the government? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so Mimi shows up. And this is where it's just like, why is Mimi in this movie? It is a character that could have and should have been cut out of this movie, but she is along for the ride, along with a couple of other... I mean, you are characters. you are underselling how key she is to the plot of the third act. But, like, in a way that doesn't actually matter. In a way that if you cut her out, it would just, it would just be... 
you but cut ten minutes out of the final act, sure. and you could do all the stuff that she does in a way that would make more sense if she. But I want to stress that in the Hallmark quality of this movie, yes. it is the most that they are. It's the thing they're most event invested in in this entire. Oh, movie. absolutely, and and like and actually, the Hallmarkness is like the key trait of a Hallmark movie is that they create problems that don't need to exist that will be resolved in the next scene, and that is what Mimi is there to be. Mimi is there to produce some sort of problem in the short term that you can solve in the next scene to, to fabricate an artificial sense of tension in the plot that doesn't actually exist, that doesn't have to do with anything else, and that is what Mimi is there for, is to make it so that if you, in the year 2000, had this movie on in the background and you were doing your laundry, you would get a vague sense of excitement out of the noises that were coming out of your TV that you weren't actually looking at. Yes. That is why Mimi is here. <laughs> so then they, is this, this is when they leave Earth, right? And that's yeah. this is when they go on the like weird circular uh, space uh, launcher thingy. So it's, it's, you know, like in Victory Gundam where you, you launch up into space on this big track, only it spins around a couple times like a like weird highway system. And that's just not how, that's just not how that would work. Uh, that you just lose all of your speed that way. Uh, so that's dumb. They go into space. They're in space for a little bit. What happens at this point in the movie, Jonathan? Oh, I don't remember. I'm they, track. They go to side... They go to New Manhattan. Yes, they, that's it. Because we yes. were making all the... Okay, because they kept saying New Manhattan. You and I couldn't figure out, is it on Earth or is it in space? Once it's in space, we were making Chibity Crockett jokes because it sounded like it was... You know, G Gundam has new... Has new the York. Neo... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neo New York and Neo yeah. American, all that shit. Yeah, and uh. it's... Yeah, and I mean, it's actually surprisingly similar because they go to the colony and they do a flyover and they have, like, Neo Central Park with the fucking little mini Statue of Liberty in there. Yeah, just... there's, like, yeah, a Neo Empire State Building in the background. Yeah. It is, they have just taken, uh, presumably, like, aerial footage of uh, New York and, and digitized it and then put some, like, weird stuff on it to do the shots. There is literally a shot, a transition shot in there that is just footage of actual Manhattan that they use briefly, which yes. is fucking hilarious. Because I have been to Manhattan several times. I'm like, I have walked on this street that you are like, I've seen this <laughs> building, the specific building <laughs> you're shooting from. Uh, and this is fucking hilarious that the reason why it is new Manhattan is probably just so that they could have some of those transitions and do it cheaply. Um, this is where they meet uh, Philippe. Is this, was his name? Uh, what was the name of that dude? Yeah, there's a dude yeah. named Philippe. Yeah, so who... Philippe who is utterly... Like, he just comes out of nowhere. Apparently, he's Mark's old friend. And we later learn in the best line of dialogue in this movie that he is a member of an organization called the Illuminati, uh, which I don't think they say here. I th I no, 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 they don't. They say, so later in the movie, there's these mysterious... So in the final battle, like, yeah. the good guys are, like, on the retreat. And then a, a mysterious, like, army of mobile suits comes in. And they're like, oh, my God, it's them. And they're like, who is this? Like, it's the Illuminati. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. Like, I, we probably missed the next, like, minute of dialogue. We were laughing so hard that they, in a fucking Gundam production, they look up and yell, yay, it's the Illuminati. And I'm like, yeah, George Soros is piloting the Gundam. And yep. it's uh, oh, the Knights Templar are on their way, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is very weird. But here, this is where some of the confusion about what Gaia is. Because it felt like all the dialogue here made it sound like Philippe was part of Gaia yeah. with Dr. Graves and everybody else. Apparently, he is actually a member of the group called the Illuminati. He knows Mark. Uh, and this is where you get your first... This is, this is the midpoint of the movie, because it's almost exactly at the midpoint of the movie that you get the first shot of the G-Savior uh, in a very funny-looking shot where they're in like a theater, and the walls of the theater in the background like separate in this very bad digital way. And, it's, and it looks like 
a 2D image of the GC. Like, it doesn't look like there's actually anything behind there, but I think the effect is supposed to sell this idea that behind the theater, there's, like, some sort of hangar where the G-Savior is. It doesn't sell that effect, but I think that's what it was supposed to be. It's a very goofy-looking shot. Um, and this is where, okay, we have the G-Savior, and Mark, you are this ace-x military pilot. You will pilot the G-Savior, and Mark's like, I can't pilot this thing, because I, this is because if I did, the movie would be over. I don't know. Uh, and he leaves. Because again, everything they ask him yeah. to do, like just down to the smallest details, like when they are leaving Earth, he does, he, like they ask him to pilot the spacecraft and he won't do that until yeah. he's like coerced into doing it. So yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a terrible character. Yeah. I, I hate this guy yeah. a lot. He's, he's just reluctant to do anything that any character asks him to, again, as a way to manufacture some sort of drama uh -huh. uh, that just doesn't actually exist in the plot. So he's like, I can't pilot the G Savior. Savior spelled with the U, by the way, because it is. Uh, the Queen's English, yes, is made in Canada, <laughs> uh, and so he's like, I have, I now want to go back to Earth. So then they're on their way back to Earth, and then they just drive, fly their spaceship into de debris field for no reason. <laughs> like, there's no. It's so funny because this is also where Mark tells his story of his flashback, um, and this is where uh, what's his face, Brendan Elliot, gets to show off his acting chops, talking about I was in the military, and then there's a Turn. dude who didn't have to die that I could have saved. Uh, but I got orders not to save him, and then I did disobey my orders, but I disobeyed them too late, and the guy died. Which, to me, just says he's a shitty pilot and officer yeah. and everything, because, yeah, he's just bad, and he say show off his action chops. <laughs> there are yeah, oh, yes, there was, there was, there was smear, smear quotes uh, around yeah. that statement, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a pretty dull scene. Uh, I, there's one line in that scene that I do like, that in a good Gundam thing, they should just borrow this. Uh, I like that his, he describes the reason why Jack tells him not to go save the guy is because that he's piloting uh, an expensive machine and there's no reason to go risk it. And I'm like, that's okay. That's like that's a that's a vaguely Gundam idea that like Ex the, the expensive military technology is more important than this pilot's life. If I have to throw this movie a bone, that is the bone I'll throw this movie. That's like that's an okay idea if it wasn't a good thing. I'm gonna take the bone back because okay. the way they say it is you're in a billion dollar machine, which is a great way to to express that you are in the future, that American dollars are still a thing. Jonathan, and apparently, Jonathan, Canadian dollars. Canadian please. dollars are still a thing, and apparently, building a mobile suit only costs a billion. Yeah, sounds a little off to me, but okay. Yes, like I said, it's not the way it's used. It is. It was a light in the darkness of, man, in a good Gundam thing, that would have been a line of dialogue. That would have been like a concept that would have worked. Not God, the line of dialogue. You sound like you're in a, you're in a hostage situation. This is... This, Look, this I is, want to say something good about the movie. There is nothing good to say about this movie. Nothing. <laughs> so then we get the... This is where we get space lightning flashes in the window as Mark is telling his, his traumatic story. And this is where uh, our pilot has just piloted us into a fucking massive... Sp like, it looks like it is the... Because you made the joke, Jonathan, that it's the Thunderbolt sector yes. uh, from the Gundam Thunderbolt. And it kind of is like a very boring CG version of that. But it is hilarious to me, the idea of that, like, this pilot just stumbled into this massive debris field <laughs> that looks like an entire space colony was destroyed. And... And and he stumbled into it, and it's like, well, fly around it. I can't. Why? Why can't he fly around it? Nobody knows. They're in space. You can go literally any direction. You've got full three-dimensional movement available to you, but we can't go around it. We've got to go through it. And this is when Mark's like, well, I guess I have to. And he pilots the G-Savior and very clumsily shoots a bunch of the debris, which does nothing. Uh, I guess those guns got really weak. It just no longer has a like battleship class 
uh, cannon on it. Yeah. It is just a little pea shooter. Pew, pew, pew. And it does nothing yeah. to debris. It's, it is nowhere near the scale of uh, destruction that the original Gundam could do, let alone the fucking, like, Magnum gun that the fucking Unicorn Gundam has. That this technically would take place uh, about 100 plus years after that. Yes. Um, but yeah, so the shoots the debris. It does nothing. Uh, and then they can just kind of fly through it until there's a very big piece of debris, and then uh, Mark cuts through it with his beam saber, and they fly through. Uh, and it is a scene that comes out of nowhere, means nothing, and it only exists so that Mark can pilot the G-Savior at one point in the movie that's not the ending scene. And show us that he is, in fact, a very bad pilot. Yeah, it, it is It is uh, the least impressive thing a Gundam pilot has ever done in Gundam. Yep. Right? It is just the... Couldn't really deal with most of the debris. Barely took care of one piece of debris, and it was just clearing out debris in space that they didn't even need to probably actually drive through. They just, you know, were impatient. I don't know why. After that, they arrive at side eight, uh, which is Gaia, and this is where you realize, okay, so I guess Gaia is just this place. It's not an organization, even though everyone's been talking about it like it's a like a, an entity, not a a country, basically. Uh, but they arrive at Gaia. And then they meet uh, Dr. Graves' father, uh, who is there, and he's like, I'm your dad, and I'm, I'm mad, I'm a mad politician about everything that's happening. Well, he's the president of the... Yes, uh... he's, 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 yes they call him the president of the side, uh, and, then, and then this is where then just, like, the military shows up. Is it? No, no, okay. no, 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 yes, no, you're yes. missing the best part. So, okay, so they're here He's... on Gaia, and they're, they're doing their stuff, they're talking about the cool enzymes and stuff, and then... Cynthia, the the woman, the doctor, yeah, uh, the lady doctor, which is super surprising again. Yes, um, takes Mark to her big light garden that basically looks like Poison Ivy's lair from Batman and Robin, yeah. but but much much less interesting visually. Uh, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Yeah, you were better than this. Yeah, I mean it's it's that layer with like the flattest lighting possible. Yes, yes. yes. So it's that layer. It's like a bunch of very fake plants that just are very clearly like rubber plants. And they're walking around, and and out of nowhere they decide to kiss. They're flirting a little bit. They kiss. I mean, there has it. The movie has been clearly very intentionally building a like, a, trying to build a sexual tension between the two characters. I'm not going to say it's yeah. successful at it, but it is just every cliche line of dialogue, every cliche like framing of shots. It is clear that these two characters are supposed to be love interests. but it doesn't make any sense because Mark is married, and there's just no. What, like, this is one of the instances where why does the Mimi character exist? Because all it does is just get into the way and, like, complicate this love relationship that, at this point, there's only about 25 minutes left of the movie. So there's not time to deal with a love triangle that doesn't get introduced in the movie until this point, formally. Um, uh, but again, this is what the movie's actually interested in. Yeah, because this there's, the this, there's this big kiss scene, and yeah. then it, it does the, like... The fucking shift focus on the camera to behind them, and Mimi is hiding in the bushes, literally hiding in the bushes, and like peels two leaves apart and looks in and is like, That's my husband. And then like looks angry and leans back. And this becomes the inciting incident for the third act of the movie. Yeah, this because is what most of the third act of the movie is about is that Mimi has seen uh, her husband uh, kissing another woman, which just like it feels like the movie's. You're supposed to be on Mark's side. Like, the movie's not presenting this She's, as Mark is being, like, uh, an asshole who's cheating on his wife. But that is what he is. Like, he there's is, no but, way to read it other than he 
like what you're doing is wrong, Mark. But they but Mimi is like the shrew archetype yes. who is awful and like bad for him and all she cares about is her career, which her is career bad for women. And, like her fashion. Like yeah. there's a whole bit when she gets onto the it's all this, about like, her wanting to get different clothes. It's all this, like bad femininity. It's yeah. extremely sexist. And so of course, like she is the bad guy here, and she goes back to her room and contacts the evil military, the consent forces. Yes. And calls them into the colony and like I don't know how she has the access to do this on someone else's space colony but she somehow has the access to like take down their shields and and take their their yes. anti-air guns offline yes this is well no because this is what because as this is happening the dreadnought shows up from the earth federation uh and you just get this very weird moment where mark uh, comes into like this command room that I swear to God, is just the fucking like Zordon base in Power Rangers because it has the big fucking yes. pillar in the middle, but it's just got like replaced with like vague like generic sci-fi bullshit. Uh, and like every time I looked at that set, I'm like, is this is just the Power Rangers set, right? Is Alpha Five like around the corner? Are there going to be some teenagers with attitude that are going to show up? Like, what the fuck is happening <laughs> here? Because if there were teenagers with attitude, it would be more of a Gundam than it is right now. Um, but so he comes into this room and you just get a lot of really hurried lines of dialogue that took me a while to understand what the fuck was going on. Uh, but Mimi has, uh, she has somehow hacked the guns on the, the space colony and she has targeted the dreadnought and they can't do anything about it. And she fires at the dreadnought to like give an excuse for the dreadnought to attack the colony and it is the most like, what is happening? How did how is Mimi able to do this? Is she like a technical genius that can just hack their systems from her room? I don't know why the computer in her room has access to the fucking guns of the whole space colony. And not only can she hack it, but she locks out all the technical engineers that work there <laughs> uh, to then start this battle. Why? Like, what is it to get revenge on Mark? Is it to kill all these people? Is it to get revenge on uh, Dr. Cynthia Graves because she kissed her husband like what is Mimi's motivation here uh, it's very confusing because then Mimi starts to flip-flop back on which side side she's in in each subsequent scene she then goes and runs up to Mark uh and is like Mark come on we have to get out of here and Mark looks over and he's like oh wait this was you he's, he's, the gun thing is on your computer how could you do this why would you do this Mimi and she's like because you kissed that lady and he's like what the f I and it is this thing of where the movie has like bent itself backwards so much to make Mark cheating on his wife a thing that is okay to have happened, right? Like it's just because he's like, you would like doom this entire fucking space colony because I kissed another woman, and it's like to be fair in the weird scenario you've constructed, movie. Mark's got a point. Like that is really fucking crazy what Mimi has just done. But also the only way you've done this movie is by leaning on the most like ridiculous hysterical wife sexist tropes you possibly could and not in any way interrogating the fact that you know from this point to the end of the movie uh Mark never shares another scene with his wife and only has uh and then has multiple other romantic interactions with Dr. Graves it's like this is fucking weird uh, up to his wife dying yes. and him apparently never becoming cognizant of it or grieving at all yeah uh, he just sort of ignores the fact that that happened um so yeah so that weird thing with Mimi happens. Then Mark goes and he gives a rousing speech to the forces at the colony that then deploy uh, in their uh, GM-esque looking mobile suit thingies. And this is where you get like all the budget of the movie went to the effect shots here because this is where it's not just here's like one really quick effect shot of the G-Savior like 
cutting through a piece of debris and then we got to cut back to the shuttle because we don't have enough money. Here you get like, you know, upwards of maybe 10 seconds of effects in a sustained <laughs> shot. Um, and so it's like, this is probably the best part of the movie just because like explosions happen. I don't know. Uh, but like, good. I, I want to stress too, like the, the effects stuff, like with the Gundams, like the Gundams don't look good. No. The different mobile suits, there's no good mobile suit designs in this. They are all weird. There's a weird thing where like they both look like they have no weight and substance to them. And they are too slow and heavy yeah. in space, which makes no sense. Like, there's a beam saber fight at one point between the G-Savior and Jack. I know it's ahead of where we are. Yeah. But, like, they're standing on the colony fighting, and they're, like, super slow. And it looks like they're being held down by gravity or something. But they're in space. Yeah. It's so bizarre. It's like the direction on it is awful. Yeah, you're right. That It is in this weird place of that it is both too slow, but it also feels completely weightless. Um, so yeah. yeah, it just... It, and they're like super blocky mobile mm-hmm. suit designs. Like they, it, it looks like if they made a Lego Gundam kit out of Duplos, that's yeah. what you would get. They're just very Fisher-Price blocky Gundams. Yes, that, that like really solid, unblemished colors. Um, yeah. Like there's no like detail or texture. Not really that there is off. much color. They're very gray. There's no like bright color mobile suits. Yeah. The G-Savior has... Like extremely dark blue and red that you really can't tell unless you look at like a shot on your computer of it. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So all the effects look bad, but at least there are like effects. At least yes. it's like I can like pretend I'm watching a knockoff Gundam production when that's happening, yes. which makes me a little bit happier than watching a like knockoff bad Star Trek production, basically, yes. which is what uh, the rest of the movie feels like. Uh, so yeah, then it's just a lot of fighting. Uh, eventually they're getting their ass kicked uh, so Mark decides well now I'll go out into the G-Saver rather than just shouting orders uh, and it feels like he gets over his trauma very quickly because he, he just starts killing a bunch of people uh, but you know they don't nothing about violence or warfare is commented on or like observed or anything no. at all like it's just it, it just completely goes unanalyzed by the film entirely uh, which is the most like disqualifying thing about it about Gundam it being a Gundam thing to me is just like it barely has anything to do with war. It doesn't care about war. It's not thinking about it. Like it will only the only time war as a thing that is like bad or tragic or anything like that comes up is just to give Mark a uh, backstory and that's it. So yeah, there's just a bunch of bad action. While there's a bunch of bad action, the general uh, arrives at the colony. Apparently, uh, Mimi did something to let him in. I don't really know what. I don't know how that works. Uh, but she did something that let him in. Uh, and he goes and he uh, sort of takes prisoner all the major people there and then threatens Dr. Graves that, so that she'll give him the bioluminescent liquid. Because what she does is there's another random like side character and, and she has the bag with the, yeah. the vial in it. So she runs away and, and the, the bad guy, the, uh, the, the, the general orders like, shoot her. And they shoot the wall three feet next to her yes, and she falls cool. down. And, and then, and then later in the movie, you see her have like a sling on her arm. So I don't know. I think she just tripped because she was shocked at the like the gun sound, and then sprained her arm when she landed yeah. bad. Like that's that's my head cannon. Like. Yeah, yeah. There's no like blood or anything. It's just yeah, like that wall flashed, and then she she collapsed. Um, there is one surprisingly yes. grisly effect sequence where it comes out of fucking nowhere. There's some rando in a mobile suit, some character we don't know, and it shows like 
that this is the only time in the whole movie they attempt to do the thing where the effect shot melds with what's happening in the movie. Yeah. Where like his cockpit gets shot in the effect shot, and then in the cockpit they show the actor and his like inside his visor just a blood squib goes off and like hits his helmet and then it goes and it shows it exploding. So it's like apparently the bullet from another like Gundam went in and like shot his head and it exploded his head. But that's the only thing that is vaguely like and it's weirdly violent. Yeah, it's one of the things that just makes it feel like that shot was created independent of the rest of the movie. That's yes. like the, the effects company are like, they watched a like clip of Gundam stuff. You're like, oh, like blood spurting into the visor of the helmet. Is thing. <laughs> We've seen a bunch of Gundam. And it's like a classic kind of Gundam violence uh, thing. So, you know, yeah. It, that, like, it's the only time there's any meaningful violence. Meaningful. There's only like the time that you see violence happening on screen that feels like violence. Um and it is weird. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, anyways, back to the general. He has uh, now taken the vial. Uh, and then he says to this... He has this argument with Dr. Graves. Dr. Graves is like, you're just going to destroy it and blah, 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 blah or whatever. And then Mimi's like, no, you, the general would never do that, right? You you just want to control it. And the general laughs. He's like, ha, ha, ha. Control it. Wah, bow power. I'm evil. Uh, and, and then you get the shot on Mimi. They're like... Oh, Mimi doesn't like that he's going to destroy the secret bioluminescent magic fluid that will save the planet. Um, so then uh, the general gives it to Mimi and is like, hold on to this. And she puts it in, in her bag and it's like, oh. Uh, and then later she will sneak it into Dr. Graves' bag on the ground. And so that she actually gave it back to the good guys because Mimi... Uh, is bad enough that she would start a uh, battle that would result in the destruction of this entire space colony, but not so bad that she would give up uh, the magic space fluid to the evil general man. So that's who Mimi is. Yep. I don't know. Uh, back to Mark is fighting Jack. They have a very bad fight. Um, they, they have uh, my favorite line of dialogue in the whole movie, which is when Jack shows up, Mark, in, and they're both in their mobile suits, Mark says, Jack! What asteroid did you crawl out from under? And that is some grade A bad sci-fi banter. Oh boy. I like the line earlier in the movie where Mark looks at something and he says, This is unbelievable. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one as well. It's like, it felt like they wrote, uh, like someone wrote in the script, This is unbelievable. And they're like, yeah, I don't, Maybe it would sound better if he said, I don't believe it. Uh, but just typed again and didn't release the original line and just left it in the script. Like, it was, you just said the same line twice. It's hilarious because last night I literally watched an episode of Columbo where Columbo does that as a joke on purpose. And it made me think of it exactly where he kept on rephrasing the same statement to annoy the person he was talking to. Uh, but there it was just felt like some sort of like acting or scripting error that occurred that they just left in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, Jack crawls out from some sort of asteroid and they have a fight. The fight's really bad. There's a lot of really good, bad facial acting by uh, David Lovegren, who is the actor for Jack. And he's just like grimacing and laughing and cackling. And, and it seems like at least that dude got to have some fun sitting in this cockpit pretending to have a robot fight that does not gel with anything that's happening in the actual robot fight. Yeah. But I'm glad that he had a good time. He, he, you know, he kind of looks like a kid in like a cockpit at yes. like an arcade or something just having fun. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. It's yeah. like, aha! Yeah! And it's it's like, yeah, okay, there you go. Uh, Jack gets defeated uh, and then there's like a thing about Mark's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to have you face stand trial because Mark sucks. Uh, and then Jack's like, aha, but really, because Jack sees behind him that his allies are coming up. And I was like, but really, do, do, like, 
my reputation might be bad, but yours is going to be even worse, Mark. Uh, and then this is when the Illuminati show up because this is when all the other mobile suits, the mobile suits show up and shoot Jack's other uh, allies. And then you get uh, someone grinning up to the general and saying, General, we've attacked another army that is twice as large as the Congressional Army. It's the Illuminati. It's like, what the fuck did that man just say? I just cannot get over the fact that there's a Gundam production where the Illuminati come to save the day. They should have just said, where'd they launch from? The bowels of the Denver International Airport. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so, it is It is the funniest thing in the whole movie when the man just says, it's the Illuminati. Like, okay. Uh, yeah, so the Illuminati show up and save the day. Uh, this is then when Mimi puts the vial in uh, Dr. Graves' thing, and then she follows the general and gets on the with, on the general on a shuttle, but the general decides we'll get on a Gaian shuttle because our forces are losing, uh, which is, you know, the most predictable way this is going to end, but it's such a phenomenally stupid thing because it's like, well, yes, but also you're going towards your forces. So if you don't have some kind of friendly or foe tag that identifies that you are uh, not supposed to be shot down because you're the fucking general, you're just going to get shot down. Like, I don't know how he was expecting this plan to go once he got towards his ship. Because predictably, as they go towards the, their own ship, they do sneak past the other Gaians, but then the uh, Earth Federation mobile shoots see a Gaian uh, shuttle, and they're like, well, we'll go blow that up. And they go to go blow it up. And then Mimi is in the background, and Mimi hears that, uh, this like, oh, the two of our own mobile suits, they're coming at us. And then Mimi goes, ha, 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 General, this is just what you deserve. And then they all blow up in a fireball of death, and it's like, and that's the end of Mimi. And who the fuck was this lady? What was her deal? Like, what is going on with you? Like, that you come out, like, like, have, like, seeming to, like, willingly knew all along that this General's plan was probably going to go bad, but didn't care and went with him, um, because also he discovers... Oh, that you left the vial back on the station, and that's right before he blows up. It's like, man, that lady is fucking weird. Uh, but she's dead, uh, and the general's dead. You get a big speech uh, from the president of Gaia, and he's like, we have won our freedom, the independence of Gaia. I'm like, is that what this movie was about? Because that's literally never come up at any other point in this movie. The whole movie has been about that there's like a food shortage on Earth, and then now the big speech is about how Gaia has been liberated from the Earth Federation control. What? He is... Seconds away from quoting Bill Pullman in Independence yes. Day. I mean, it is so it is like so the aesthetics good. of it, the way it is shot. He is so close to going, and this will be our Independence Day. And instead, he goes, and this is the day we won our freedom. freedom. Yes. And it is. It is so knockoff Independence yeah, Day. Yeah, it, it is that thing of where like politicians will steal other politicians' speeches, but try to change the phrasing in a couple of sentences to get away with it, and they never do. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is exactly that kind of thing. Um, which, you know, technically, I guess that sometime in ancient Earth history, that, that Independence Day as a movie existed. Maybe he's literally, like, taking yeah. that Independence Day speech. Maybe it's just part of the canon. That, you know, that movie is evergreen. It's still yeah. popular, yeah. Exactly. You just can't, can't ever let it go. Um, and then we get our last scene uh, with Mark and Dr. Graves. And it's like, and Dr. Graves is like, Mark, are you going to go home? And he doesn't say anything. It's like, uh, I have to go stand trial. Uh, because I need to be exonerated of my crimes. I'm like, Mark, you fucking suck. You're fucking sap. I fucking hate you, Mark. Um, and then he's like, but you could come to Earth with me, and you could start a big garden. 
And she's like, I like that idea. And then they walk off together and the camera pans up and shows a wall with like a glass window on the top because they're in a greenhouse and then it fades to credits. I thought they might do the thing where like they go up top and then they show like the, the G Savior like hanging out outside the greenhouse, which is how a oh, lot of Oh, they didn't have enough money no. to do another effect shot. No, no. no. Yeah. It's just literally, they end the movie like, hey, uh, director, how should we end the, uh, the movie we're making? He's like... Pan up to show more of the set. Yeah. Everyone good with that? All right, let's go to lunch. This is great. Uh, yeah. We finished early. Uh, should, should we put in a line that acknowledges that uh, Mark's wife, who he's uh, cheated on, has died in a fire explosion in space that he has no way of knowing about? Should we address this in any way? No, I think it's fine. Let's just let Mark be uh, a cheating bastard for the rest of his life and never, never uh, pursue it in any way. And, and that's the end of the movie. And we have been G-saved, Jonathan. One of the worst things I've ever seen. Sean, I had to, when we got, when we finished the movie and we, we sat down at our computers to yeah. record this, I had to bring up just an image I have saved. It's, a, it's one of the drawings from the Gundam, the origin manga, my favorite uh -huh. drawing of a Gundam, to remind myself, no, Jonathan, you do love Gundam. This was worth it because at some points in the movie I was like, was getting into Gundam worth it for these 90 <laughs> minutes of utter hell? This was so bad. Um, and it was because this has absolutely nothing to do with Gundam. Yeah, so. which is, I mean, it is the reason why I did not ever watch this before is that I'm like, I know it has nothing to do with Gundam. Like, yeah. I know that, again, it, like the Gundam parts of it, like it would be so simple to take this exact movie and edit anything that has to do with Gundam out of it. Yes. Right? Like any of those effect shots that have a mobile suit, um, like you could dub over anytime someone says the word side, which is like twice. Um, which you is could like, just replace it with other space colonies, like take shots yeah. from fucking Elysium or something and just throw those in there. Yeah, it would be incredibly simple to re-edit this movie in a way that just removed any trace of the Gundam stuff. Because it because all of the like Canadian actors on Canadian sound stages acting um, has nothing to do with anything else. And it's so weird that Sunrise like put this in the Universal Century. Like when they were yeah. already knee-deep in alternate universe stuff, like just have it just say this is in the year 3000 or something, which it still doesn't feel like, but whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's baffling. It's, it's especially baffling that this was actually like a sunrise initiated production. Cause this feels way more like the kind of thing where like some rights holder in Canada bought a package of things from Japan and one of them was Gundam and to like get them their money's worth. They made one random sci-fi movie, but no one involved research Gundam. Like sunrise actually had a hand in this, which is the weirdest thing about it. Yeah, no, again, it was, like, in some form of production for five years. Like, like or at least them pursuing some form of production. Like, the actual movie that they that right. got greenlit was production for two years, but... It was in production for, like, a week, but Yes, sure. they said they started shooting in 1998, um, but yes. Uh, and it is, it is phenomenally bad. I do have to say, Jonathan, um, and I don't want to uh, throw too much shade on, on this person, but it, this is, it's so funny... Um, there is a review from January 27th, 2002. Okay. And so this is for the original English language DVD release of G Savior. Um, it is a review on animenewsnetwork.com, which is a very good website. I use it a lot for, um, crediting stuff. Uh, it's very good. They've been around forever and they have yes. lots of good info. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this review is by a user named Bamboo Dong. Um, like, like <laughs> Bamboo Penis, Bamboo Dong, um, and uh, I'll just like let's just skip to I'll just skip really quickly to the scores at the end uh, is he gave the animation an A minus an eight an A minus or the art an A minus and the music an A um, pl the plus was Gundams with real people in them nice the minus was Gundam elements seemed randomly thrown in and I'm just going to say read a couple of the first sentences of the of this review 
G-Savior is one of the coolest movies I've seen in a while. It's not so much that it's good, it has its deficiencies of more later. It's just that I've never seen Gundams and real actors in the same film before. In the scene film yeah, before. I fixed the spelling error that Bamboo Dong made. In the scene film before, and it makes the fantasy of having mobile suits all the more real. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It is... It No, it is It is like... Who paid Bamboo Dong to write this review? Yeah. Again, I, I, I don't know who Bamboo Dong is. If you're out there, you know, I hope you're listening to this podcast because that'd be, that'd be a fun coincidence. Um, and, you know, we all made mistakes in the year 2002. But, the, it, but it is just funny to me that on the Wikipedia page for G-Saber at the bottom, there's like a few sentences about the reception. Um, and it says the G-Saber has a received a mixed reception. And then it quotes that uh, Anime News Network review. And then everything else is bad. Like every every the other like two or three quotes on Wikipedia are like from reviews saying that this is a cliche piece of shit basically, um, and the idea that G Savior has a quote mixed reception is a, an amazing statement to make. The movie is highly enjoyable in the one sense that its live-action CGI mix makes the Gundam world more realistic. Mecha enthusiasts can now carry the ideal that mobile suits and real people really do go together. Oh my god, what? That is lowering the bar to like a, a yes. Trump level, I can lift my arm and drink water. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so... G-Savior can only be described as science fiction without any of the fantastical holds of anime upon it. This great piece of science fiction featuring bioluminescence that uh, produces light as well as heat, unlike normal bioluminescence that only produces light, which is uh, obviously something that has nothing to do with heat. When I first heard about a live-action Gundam movie, I expected the actors to be low-budget hacks in need of rent cash. I was wrong. Instead, I got the star of Crossword Mysteries, a puzzle to die for. The actors did a remarkable job loading their characters with distinct personalities. Who the fuck is Diz? I know we're not supposed to make fun of random dude on the internet, Sean, yeah. but I want to because this is this is amazing. Yeah, I'm just glad that he, you know, used an alias. I, what I assume yeah. is his alias, a bamboo dog. So no, no, he was born yeah. bamboo. I dog. do have to say, Jonathan, I am also uh, scrolling a little bit deeper into Brennan Elliott's uh, uh, IMDb page, and he has also starred in a Hallmark TV movie called Flower Shop Mystery: Dearly Depotted. <laughs> Which is the sequel to Flower Shop Mystery, Snipped in the Bud. So this guy exists to be in movies that sound like they are SNL parody kitchens. <laughs> yes, he, he stars in fake TV shows. It's great. I want this man's career. Oh my god. Oh my god, Sean. This was so bad. It was really bad. I uh, cannot tell you, Jonathan, how much of a profound relief it is that I can cross it off the fucking list. Yeah, this is probably getting deleted from my hard drive. Um, I I also just want to say the music is unbelievably terrible. It is uh, like it's the, super generic, like everything else. In the super movie. generic, yeah. bad. It's like really bad early, like uh, you know, uh, sampled stuff. It's just awful. Um, it's got awful sound design. There is one scene in the movie where Mark goes to meet with Lady Doctor. This is when he's yeah. like. Doctor, you have a vagina. How can you be a doctor? Exactly. Yeah. And 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 it's that scene, and it's it's in her like prison cell interrogation room thing. And there's a fan in the background of the scene that is going very slowly, like just like barely rotating. And the sound effect guy decided because he wanted to go to lunch early, he just put in. There is a really loud like, yeah. Fwah. 
that is louder than any of the actors speaking. Yes. So it's like any time the whoosh sound effect plays of the fan turning, you can't hear what anybody's just said. Which, of course, that fan couldn't possibly be making a sound at all, but no. let alone a sound that loud. But it is making that sound, and that scene is like five minutes long, and that is just, that is the sound effect. Like, yes, that is it the, is in the whole scene consistently. It doesn't change. Uh, it doesn't like modulate. Volume. No, yeah. yeah. It, it is like, it's the kind of thing that, like, you, that would be a great sound effect to use if you're like cutting into that scene, it was a close up on the fan. It was supposed to like give you the sense of like dread, or... yeah, dread, and something's off about the room, like a very like Eva style shot or something. Um, which is not what they do, obviously. It's like like if I, it's that kind of thing where you see all the like bad mistakes made in making this movie, and you're like, I you could I want to take something of value from it, so I'm trying to think of like what would something like this be that be something that would be, could do something like it good, like the. Don't go save your friend because the machine you're in is worth more than his life. Like, that would be a good thing to be in a scene of a Gundam. Um, but it doesn't work in anything in this movie. No, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I don't know if it's even fair to call it a movie. It's a bad it's, TV yeah, it's thing. Just, it's a bad 90s TV thing. Like, it's, yeah, it, is, it, it is... If you've seen bad 90s TV things, it is a bad, bad one of those. Yeah, super bad. It makes me appreciate the Doctor Who PBS movie all the more. Oh, yes. Yeah, it, yes. It makes the Doctor Who TV movie seem like a legit, like a proper film that you yes. like sit down and have like a movie going experience with. I mean, it's got a real actor in it. It's got Paul McGann, you yeah. know, so so it's got that going for it. Um, oh my God, Sean. This is bad, but I did, uh, Sean, I, I uh, on our mission, when we fly to Japan to figure out where we can find the manga adaptation of G-Savior, yes. I have found it was in Famitsu in the November and December issues for 2000 and the January issue for 2001. So those are the three issues of Famitsu we need to track down for the next episode of this podcast. Okay, good. Yeah, so we'll do that. Um, I'll try to because I feel like any of the um, graphical errors I've experienced in the uh, emulated version of G-Saver on PS2 is just not enough for me. So I think we should probably import a Japanese uh, PlayStation 2 and a Japanese copy of Gundam Savior. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to be starting our Patreon to get the funds needed. Yes. To continue our G Savior product project, uh, no, none of that's happening. Um, anything else to say about G Savior before we give a little preview of what's next? Don't watch it. Like, no. like listen to this podcast, and hopefully, you get like the vicarious experience of of G Savior in this podcast. Though, but yeah, yeah. But next, we are going to be doing uh, some of the realist Gundam. Yes, which is we are uh, probably over the next month or two. Um, hopefully, I think we could do this all in July. We are going to be doing our OVA-a-thon, which is where we are going to talk about the 90s Gundam OVAs, starting with War in the Pocket, which I know is 1989, but you get what I mean. Yeah. Um, and so we are going to do 0080 War in the Pocket, which is one of the very, very best Gundam things. Yes, absolutely. We're going to talk about 0083 Stardust Memory, which is a Gundam thing. <laughs> yeah. That we've, we've mentioned it, it a lot. It has Solid Snake in it, so it's not yeah. all that bad. Oh, it's got great voice acting. Yeah. Um, it's got one of my favorite Gundam theme songs, yes. so we'll get to that. Uh, so we're going to start us memory, and we will also be talking about the 8th MS team, which is one of those Gundam things that everybody loves. It is yeah. just universally regarded as one of the great Gundam works, and we will get to talk about all of those. So if you have not seen any of those, get on the ball watching some of that. Yeah, and if and again, these are things that we talked about a little bit way back when you watched them originally, I think on episode 6 of this podcast. Episode 6 of this when, podcast. Yeah, when you watched a bunch of other Universal Century stuff because you simply could not be stopped. I could not um, be stopped. <laughs> and so we did, We so we talked about them briefly, but we didn't go in depth. So before we move on into proper 21st Century Gundam, it feels like we need to 
cap off all of that. So it'll, it'll also be fun because it'll be a series of podcasts where we have both seen all of them multiple times. Yes, yeah. and, and we don't have to watch 50 episodes. Yes, yeah, so we can go a little bit more in-depth um, because there's just not as much to take. Because, I mean, the longest of those are Stardust Memory and 08 MS Team, and those are only 12. So, yeah. yeah. So, so all of that is coming up, and that'll be a really fun chapter in the life of this show. And eventually we'll get to Gundam Seed and dive headfirst into 21st Century Gundam. But for now, we got a little bit more of the 20th century to go. Yes, and, we, and, and I feel like G-Savior was nice to watch because, I mean, we've dipped our toes back into the Universal Century with G-Savior. Um, and it is only way up uh, in the Universal Century in the OVAs that we're going to watch next.